so Ezekiel chapter 4. Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it, erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering, battering round, rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face towards it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Then lie on your left side, and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. After you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the people of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. Turn your face towards the siege of Jerusalem, and with bared arms prophesy against her. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt. Put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. We are 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth of a hin of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. Bake it in the side of the people using human excrement for fuel. The Lord said, In this way the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Not so, Lord, sovereign Lord. I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. Very well, he said. I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. He then said to me, Son of man, I'm about, to cut, I'm about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed, and will drink rationed water in despair, for food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. Now, son of man, take a sharp sword and use it as a barber's razor to shave your head and your beard. Then take a set of scales and divide up the hair. When the days of your siege come to an end, burn a third of the hair inside the city. Take a third and strike it with a sword all around the city, and scatter a third to the wind, for I will pursue them with a drawn sword. But take a few hairs and tuck them away in the fold of your garment. Again, take a few of these and throw them into the fire and burn them up. A fire will spread from there to all Israel. The second reading we have tonight is from 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 3 to 15. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. 
By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for the fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear, and with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Thanks, Isaac. My name's Jeff. It's great to be with you this evening. How long should you show patience with someone who's doing the wrong thing? It depends a bit on who you are. If you think about the police, how long should the police be patient with the criminal gang? Not long. As soon as they break the law, we want them to act. The anonymous uh, police that say, hang on, let's just give them some time. Uh, see if they turn around, let's be patient. Uh, how long should a parent be patient with kids' misbehaviour? That's a question I ask myself every day. Uh, I want, I've got three children. I want my children to learn patience from their dad, uh, but I'm not going to let them go on hitting each other forever. Uh, there will come a moment when that's going to stop. How long should God be patient with us? How long until it's actually time for punishment, if God's world continues to disobey him? Now that question comes up because in Ezekiel, God's, God has been patient with his people. He's offered them ways to come back to him. He's given them time. But now time's up. God is patient but he's not unjust. And so uh, now in these chapters that we read in Ezekiel 4 and 5, uh, the consequences are coming for Israel. Uh, you have to imagine uh, that you're there, you're one of the exiles uh, there in that refugee camp in Babylonia, and you hear about this man Ezekiel and he's doing something bizarre. He's been lying on his side for weeks and uh, so you go around to uh, where he's living and uh, you see him there just lying on his side. And uh, on the ground in front of him is a clay tablet and uh, you recognise it immediately. Etched into the surface is the layout of Jerusalem, uh, the city of God with the temple in the middle. And you think to yourself, what's going on here? And you look more closely and all around it you see uh, kind of sticks and bits of clay and bits and pieces and... Uh, it's like a diorama of something, and eventually you, you look at it and you think, ah, it's like it's a foreign army. 
this is Jerusalem under siege. Here's a prophecy about the city. But if you're from Israel, uh, from those days, you think to yourself, Israel's been, uh, Jerusalem's been under siege before. God won't let the city be destroyed. Uh, but as you look here on the dirt, uh, on the floor, this man lying on his side, uh, something is unsettling about this scene, isn't it? As you read through, something is, is not quite right. Uh, but see, but between Ezekiel and this clay model, uh, he's put an iron pan like a plate, and he's, it's like he's lying on his side and staring at this iron plate. And you think that if he's the, the prophet who's speaking God's words, then God is not going to be listening to the city. He's not going to be hearing excuses this time. And we're told that Ezekiel's tied up with ropes, and so he's bound in this terrible state, staring at this pan. And you get the feeling that... Nothing is changing this situation. Whatever's going to happen to Jerusalem, this is it. And so you you go away and you come back the next day and he's still there, lying on his side. You go away and come back next week and it's still the same. Uh, Except he looks terrible. He looks uh, worse and worse every time you go past. Uh, And you look around and you ask someone who's there, you know, what is he eating? And they point to a jar and in it is this strange uh, mix of grains, like there's not enough for one kind of grain. And when you put it together in, into a bread, it's, it's kind of disgusting. And he eats so little of it, hardly anything at all. And it dawns on you, he's eating siege rations. Ezekiel is living out uh, what's going to happen in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, the days go on and you keep hearing about him and as you go back, he's, it's like he's wasting away and he has ho- hollow cheeks and bones sticking out as he's uh, almost starving on this diet. And everything about him is, is disgusting. He's, it's this terrible diet, he's, uh, got, he's having so little water, his hair is growing out and it's lank and dirty And he's there lying on his side day after day, staring at this iron plate. And he has his arm out, bared against Jerusalem, the city. And he's there for weeks, and then months, and then uh, a year, and then 390 days. Uh, One day for every year since the temple was built, That's how long Israel's disobedience has been going for, 390 years. And then he's lying there for 40 days as well, one day for every uh, year that God's people spent in the wilderness back in Exodus, uh, way back in their history. Uh, Israel had to wander around in the desert for 40 years uh, so that uh, that sinful generation wouldn't enter God's land. And so this extra 40 days here make the point that it's not just all the past generations who are guilty, it's this generation as well, just as guilty as their ancestors. And he goes on 390 days. And then after all that time, uh, you hear that he's, he's finally done something different. And so you run to see what's happening. And uh, you get there and he's sharpening a sword, just a, a short sword. And he starts to cut off his hair and his beard. 
And if you were there, you know, you can barely watch as he's doing it because he's hacking away at this hair. And it's, it's not like it's a razor, it's a, it's a sword. And it's coming off in chunks and uh, his face is bleeding. And you watch this emaciated shell of a man uh, go across to a set of scales and pick up that hair and weigh it out into thirds. And one third he takes and he puts on the clay tablet, uh, on this cracked, uh, dry uh, image of Jerusalem, and he sets it alight. And your stomach turns as you realise what he's depicting here, what's going on in this siege of Jerusalem. And as that smell of burnt hair fills the room, it's awful. And then he takes another third and he scatters it around the room and then he moves around the room chopping at it with that sword, just cutting the hair to pieces. And you realise that what he's doing, this is how it ends. This is how the siege of Jerusalem finishes with fire in the city and people fleeing and being cut down by the sword. And he takes another third of the hair and he throws it to the wind. He throws it outside. And then just a few remaining hairs he tucks into his belt. And even from that, uh, he takes out a few and he throws them away. Even from the survivors, some will perish. And that's exactly what happened. Five years after this time, the Babylonians again laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and this time they did it properly. They starved people out. Uh, they broke through the walls. They burnt the city. Uh, they killed the people. And they scattered the survivors. And that's what Ezekiel is acting out in uh, chapters in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, all through this uh, period, I think he's he's been silent. In chapter 3, God told... Ezekiel, that he would shut his mouth until he gave him words to speak. And so the people who've been coming to see Ezekiel know what's going to happen, but they don't know why. And it's not until he finally speaks in that next bit of chapter 5. So if you have a Bible open, have a look down beyond the bit that we read, just there at verse 5 of chapter 5. Ezekiel finally speaks. This is This is the words that go with his uh, actions. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, verse 5. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the centre of the nations, with countries all around her. Yet in her wickedness, she has rebelled against my laws and decrees, more than the other nations and countries around her. Then verse 8. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. And then further down, verse 15, he says, you will be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and an object of horror to the nations around you when I inflict punishment on you in anger and in wrath and with stinging rebuke. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's God's explanation for why this is happening. And you can't avoid the message, can you? That Israel is finally 
being punished for breaking God's law, for their disobedience. It's God. God is bringing this siege on Jerusalem. It's about his judgment on them. God says uh, that he put uh, Israel at the the centre of uh, all nations, and not just geographically, but uh, in terms of their importance. They had a central purpose uh, to be his people, uh, to know his law and to keep his law, uh, to be a light to the nations around them, uh, to see what God is like. Uh, But instead of being a light to the nations, they're worse than the nations, more immoral, uh, more idolatrous. And so God is punishing them uh, using other nations like Babylon as the instrument of his anger. Really, it's quite a straightforward passage. Uh, What Ezekiel does is extreme and uh, strange, uh, but it's not confusing. Uh, It's God's punishment. And Ezekiel is, is living it out. He's a living sign of what God says he will do uh, to punish Israel's disobedience. Our job is really to see how shocking it is. How uh, shocking it is really just in how horrific it would have been, the the atrocity that took place. But also how shocking it was to realise that God was against them. It took 390 years 390 years of disobedience, but God had set a limit on his patience. And God had set a day for judgment. And Ezekiel's message is that that day has arrived. There is a day for God's judgment to come. His patience won't last forever. And Ezekiel says, it's here. And when we get to the New Testament, uh, we see the same pattern. Uh, We see that God is still angry with his world uh, for our disobedience. And I hope that you feel angry at our world too sometimes. On Friday, uh, the Syrian government bombed uh, the last functioning hospital in that city, uh, killing doctors and uh, uh, Médecins Sans Frontières Doctors and nurses, uh, NGO people in there. I hope that you are angry at the state of our world as well. And God is no less compassionate about the evil and wickedness that takes place in our world. And so he set a day uh, for when uh, he will bring judgment and his punishment on this world. And when Jesus comes, he calls that hell. That's what he says in Mark chapter 9, verse 47. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Uh, it's awful. Jesus is Ezekiel-ish in the way that he talks about facing God's anger and how awful that is. That's the thing about uh, the chapters that we had read in Ezekiel. Ezekiel's living sign, uh, he, he 
he could have just said all those things. He could have just explained that this is what's going to happen. Uh, God could have got him to do that. But instead, God gets him to live it out, uh, to suffer the same things, uh, to live out that awful reality for over a year so that people would feel it, so they would feel how awful it is to come under the anger of God, to face his punishment. And Jesus wants us to feel how serious that is too. When he talks about hell, the the word that he uses is Gehenna. Gehenna was the name of a place. It was a rubbish dump uh, just outside the city of Jerusalem. And it was a place of death, a place that was always on fire from uh, the refuse that was uh, put out there. And Jesus says that facing God's anger, his rejection is like that. It's like that place. It's like being thrown on that rubbish dump. It's awful. But he he doesn't say it as a threat. Hell isn't a threat. In the same way that running into a house and saying fire, that's that's not a threat, that's just a reality. And what Ezekiel does uh, in chapter 4 and 5, he's not making a threat with his drama, that's just him saying what will happen, that's the reality, that God's day of justice uh, is coming. And hell isn't a threat, it's a reality that one day God will punish disobedience. But right now, God is being patient. One day God will punish disobedience, but right now God is being patient. Uh, That's the message uh, in that passage from 2 Peter that we had read out, 2 Peter chapter 3. God is being patient. Uh, A bit like Uh, The people in Ezekiel's day who thought that uh, Jerusalem could never fall. Uh, These days, people laugh at the idea of God's judgment. uh, In Peter's words, he says, uh, where is this coming, he promised. Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. Uh, You know, he's not coming back to judge. Uh, But as Peter explains in verse 8, he says this, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God seems uh, slow to bring judgment, but it's a patient slowness. It's not the kind of slowness that I have uh, when I've tried to write an essay in the past. Uh, It's not the slowness of inability or dullness. Uh, It's not the slowness of procrastination, which I suffer from. Uh, It's not like uh, God lacks the will for it. Uh, He kind of finds it difficult, like a hard phone call you need to make that you're putting off. No, God has a patient slowness. He wants people to turn back to him. To repent. Uh, God was very slow in bringing uh, punishment on Israel. He was patient with them for 390 years, wanting them to repent, to turn back to him. But he did keep his promise to punish disobedience. Don't think that God's day of punishment won't come. It will Don't think hell isn't real. It is.
Ezekiel's living sign uh, is a picture of the awfulness of facing God's anger. And it's a reminder that that day will come. Uh, There will come a moment when time runs out. The temple had stood for 390 years and uh, people thought that uh, it would never fall. But God's day of punishment did come. Don't think it won't. And actually, when you stop and think about it, the alternative is, is worse. A world where God never brings justice is even worse. Uh, a, a world where people never face the consequences of their evil, that's far worse. A couple of years ago, uh, the Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 was shot down over Ukraine and uh, almost 300 people were killed. Uh, but because of the politics and the fighting, uh, no one took responsibility. And so uh, the families of those people have been stuck without justice. Uh, And this is what they've said about it. As they still get together, they they say, we want to know who shot down the plane. Action needs to be taken. I want justice to be served. There can't be any uh, peace if there's no justice, if there's no punishment for the wrong that people do. And God is only going to be a truly good God. We'll only be able to celebrate his goodness and his righteousness and his justice if he does indeed one day punish the guilty. And that was the reality that Ezekiel had to announce for Israel, that that day had come. But the good news uh, is that we have a better message than Ezekiel. That's the point of the 2 Peter passage, that right now God is being patient He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, Now is the time when God is graciously holding back his anger, holding back his day of punishment so that people can turn to him. God's patience means salvation, and that day of salvation is open now. We've got a much better message than Ezekiel. His message was that God's judgment is coming no matter what, You can't stop it. But our message is different. It's not that God's punishment uh, is coming no matter what. It's that God has intervened even better, that Jesus has taken our punishment on himself. There in verse 5, God tells Ezekiel uh, that for 390 days you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. Uh, In saying bear the sin, he he really just means you'll suffer the same kind of thing. You'll, you'll live it out. But Jesus, uh, when he comes, he bears our sin in a different way, a better way. Uh, he bears our punishment instead of us. That on the cross, God takes our punishment away. He nails it to the cross because Jesus stands in our place. And that's why there is this uh, opportunity now, while God is being patient to turn back to him, to have our punishment taken away by Jesus and to put our trust in him. That opportunity is open now because God is being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance.
Ezekiel's message was too late. God's punishment is here. And our message is there's time. Jesus takes our punishment away. Now, if this is your first week at uh, Union Church, uh, that might uh, be quite a full-on thing to uh, encounter on your first week. This might be the first time that you've actually thought about the reality of hell and the reality of God's punishment. And that might be a confronting thing for you. But it also might be a very natural thing to come to terms with, that it's right that the God who made the world should hold the world to account. And it might actually uh, feel good and right that God does that. If it's your first time considering that, I do want you to leave tonight knowing that God is right now being patient There is a window of opportunity for you to come to the Lord, to put your trust in him and not face his anger and punishment for the way that you've lived. There is an opportunity. Uh, You might have been around Union Church for a while, but you might have lots of questions about uh, this whole topic. And that's okay, that's good. Uh, There's lots of really big implications Uh, for what uh, Ezekiel 4 and 5 point forward to. And so I want to say, please come and ask me questions about it. We're going to have a question time afterwards to get the ball rolling, um, but please ask me. You can talk to your hub group leaders about this as well. Uh, It's a good uh, thing to dig deep and to ask hard questions about what the Bible is teaching about God's punishment of evil. But it may be that this is something that you do believe. And really the thing that needs to happen is for it to sink deep into your life, into uh, what you uh, believe and how you act uh, in your life. Uh, The great reformer, Martin Luther, said, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. There are two days in my calendar, uh, this day and that day. By that, he meant uh, that in his life, he knew the reality of that final day, that day when God promised that he would bring justice and punishment on those uh, who turned away from him, that day when he would bring punishment on the ungodly, as 2 Peter says. He lived with the reality of that day and this day, this day of opportunity, uh, this day of salvation, today, where it's still time, where God is being patient for people to turn back to him. They were the two realities that he lived with. If this is something that you believe, will you have that sink deep and shape your life this day and that day? Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you for your amazing grace in the Lord Jesus. That through nothing that we've done, 
nothing that we've deserved. Uh, You sent him to take our punishment instead of us. Thank you that right now you are being patient with your world, making it possible for people to turn back to you. We pray that we would take up that opportunity and declare uh, that gracious opportunity uh, to others as well. And we pray that you would have uh, that final reality of your good and right judgment as something that shapes our life now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.